Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. This episode, we sit down with the team over at Patterfly. We discuss application UI design, the Patterfly toolkit, and how open source makes all the difference. All that and more on this episode of the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my fully vaccinated co-host, Brandon Johnson. How you doing today, buddy? Doing great, Eric. Ready to get back to traveling as soon as possible. So, Well, and it should work out great now that you've got that microchip in, in your bloodstream. I'm not worried about it. It's running Windows ME, so it's just going to crash. <laughs> well, when it does... Not if, but when it does, let's hope it doesn't take you with it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got a great show for you today. We had an awesome conversation with the folks over at Patternfly. They are a UX design and best practices community. They truly have a passion for open source and for accessibility and UI design. So really looking forward to getting into that. So with that being said, let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. DigitalOcean is your one-stop shop to deploy, scale, store, secure, and monitor your infrastructure and applications. DigitalOcean offers managed Kubernetes instances with just a few clicks. Simply select the size and location of your workers and away you go. Need fast, reliable servers? No problem. Dio offers flexible compute options like CPU or memory optimized instances. DigitalOcean has a vast marketplace with one-click deploy apps ranging from WordPress to LAMP or Docker. Finally, DigitalOcean is home to the app platform. Let DigitalOcean manage your infrastructure, app libraries, and dependencies, leaving you free to focus on developing and growing your application and your business. These are just a few of the services and features that we love so much about DigitalOcean. Not entirely convinced? Then try their service for yourself by going to do.co slash DLN. You can create an account and receive $100 free credit, good for two months. Thank you so much to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux Network. Today's interview is sponsored by none other than Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com DLN to check out their amazing service. I love Bitwarden. In fact, one of the best things I did was sign my spouse and I up for a family plan. For $40 a year, we get six users, a shared organization, and all the premium features. That includes Bitwarden Authenticator, encrypted file attachments, two-step login with YubiKey, health reports, and priority customer support. $40 a year for a family is an amazing deal, especially when you factor in that many individual plans cost as much for proprietary cloud-based password solutions. With Bitwarden, you get all those features, a great price, and a tool that's open source. Don't need six users? It's great. Sign up for the premium account for just $10 a year. If you are still not convinced, just head over to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. That's bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thank you to Bitwarden for being a sponsor of the Pseudo Show. I've worked on command lines, native applications, and even more recently, a slew of different web consoles. One of the most painful pieces of being an administrator is that UI fatigue. You know what I'm talking about. To get any task done, you have to log into six different tools. They all stick the settings menu at a slightly different place. The information you need doesn't translate where you think it should. It's, it's just a mess. It's 
as, as a longtime systems administrator, I think that's why I stuck to the command line, because the, the arguments were always the same every time. But today we're going to talk to Patternfly, a community that is set on fixing that by providing the knowledge and tool set to create standardized, accessible UIs. So with that being said, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. Yeah, glad to have you both aboard. Since we are an audio podcast, why don't we go around the virtual room here and introduce yourselves and, and what what it is you do with the Patternfly community? Yeah, absolutely. I can start. Hello, my name is Alana Feilkoff. I'm a UX content designer on Red Hat's user experience design team, and I'm a content specialist for Patternfly. So I work on our design guidelines, our web content, and I run our Twitter if you've seen Patternfly on your timelines. So that's me behind that account. And I work with designers to figure out how best to empower the design experience, how we phrase different things in our design guidelines, how we recommend people write component text. So it's been very cool as a past English major to dip my toe into the open source world with Patternfly and, and learn on the fly. Great. Welcome. My name is Michael Coker. I'm a developer on the Patternfly team. I specialize in HTML and CSS. I work on a team that we call Patternfly Core which is the base set of HTML and CSS components that are used to, to build the Patternfly design system. I work closely with designers and other developers to translate the designs into a set of HTML and CSS that fulfills all the design and UI requirements. And then I work alongside of our Patternfly React team to then translate the HTML and CSS-based static components that we have into interactive, functional JavaScript components that can be used in React applications. So I've been working for Red Hat for probably now eight years. I remember when Patternfly first came around. First started with the Manage IQ project and Cockpit. So just for anyone that, for those who don't know that history, uh, what prompted the creation of Patternfly? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I will preface that this predates me. But let's time travel back to around 2012. I was still in high school, but existing members of the Red Hat's UXD team were considering how to streamline Red Hat experiences. They were noticing that across the product portfolio, some inconsistencies arose. And that was mainly due to the fact that a lot of the collaboration was open source. And one of the greater strengths of open source is multiple perspectives and multiple contributors. But sometimes inconsistencies and discrepancies will leak through if you don't have a centralized source of truth. So Patternfly as a concept emerged as a way to solve that gap by creating a centralized space where UX design decisions and UX development decisions could be sourced. So the UXD team originally referred to this project as RQ, Red Hat Common User Experience, which gets to the heart at what they were trying to do, right? Streamline those experiences across the portfolio. But initially, this RQ was just documentation for designers as a pattern library, which is just a set of reusable design patterns. And while they were building that out, the team realized that in order for adoption across Red Hat to be really advantageous, they need to offer both code and design patterns as that resource. So that expanded it from a pattern, a pattern library to a UI kit with design patterns, documentation, and code examples to promote a smoother design and development experience. And to dive into the technical side for a second, the original RQ and Patternfly code started as HTML and jQuery examples from those design patterns I mentioned, and it was built on Bootstrap up until Patternfly 3. So we have that technical background, right? And then now let's dive a little bit into the concept of Patternfly. What would it be? How would it operate? So in the spirit of Red Hat and its existing product space, the team felt it was really advantageous and it made sense to have it hosted upstream and have it be open source so that anyone could contribute to it 
inside or outside of Red Hat and really build it in that open source spirit. So as a result, Patternfly is open, contributory, and community-oriented. And since then, we've built out that initial UI kit into Patternfly 4, which is a full, robust design system. So that means we're providing the design patterns, code, tooling, documentation, and supplementary guidance to support designers, developers, and other product teams as they build their product interfaces from start to finish. So we've gone from just just being a pattern library to a full-blown design system, that centralized source of truth for all of the Red Hat product teams. So as as a recovering systems administrator, I, I know when I started looking at Patternfly, I didn't really make the connection between the community and kind of the end product. So for, for folks that don't spend a lot of their time designing UIs, what exactly is Patternfly? We, we've talked about it as a community. We've talked about it as a UI kit. Is it kind of all of the above? Is it best practices? Kind of where does Patternfly fit into the, into the UI development process? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I'd say all of the above. So Patternfly as a design and development resource, right, is an open source design system primarily expressed through code. But there's a community behind that. And their mission and our mission is to enable consistent, usable, and scalable UX design and development across applications and a wide range of use cases. So we are a source for clear standards, guidance, and tools that help those designers, developers, and specialists collaborate to build more intuitive, inclusive, and impactful user experiences. So we've got our code in the design system itself. So components, layouts, utilities, demos. And then we have design guidelines, which are recommendations for styling, component usage, behavior, and UX writing standard. So we advise for and against certain use cases and design decisions based on research and validation carried out by our community and our team. But Patternfly is very customizable to work across a variety of use cases and products. So designers can create their own product-specific Patternfly-based design libraries for more tailored looks. And most of our components feature different variations to accommodate those needs. So on a macro broad level, Patternfly is a design system with an open source community that backs and contributes to it with something that I like to call a we guide you decide approach. So we give the framework and the tooling and the resources, but everyone else who's using it can tailor it to how they want and need to use it. So I've seen the way this has been working inside of Red Hat. All our products now have more or less a common UI set. Some are still using Patternfly 3. Some are still are up to 4. What are we, is Patternfly working with other organizations, whether that's an open source project that may not be sponsored by Red Hat or other uh, companies? Yeah, so we've been collaborating with a lot of Red Hat product teams inherently because we are that design system for Red Hat products. And recently we've been working with the Red Hat OpenShift and Red Hat Cloud Platform teams to create a log viewer component. Familiar with Red Hat OpenShift, users need to view what's called logs. And there was a discrepancy in having a, an intuitive way to do that, an easy way to do that in the interface. So OpenShift reached out to Patternfly asking for that component. And through that conversation, we learned that Red Hat's Cloud Platform team actually already had one of those basic components implemented. So they contributed their code back to Patternfly. And from there, we've been collaborating within that Red Hat space to make that component happen. And then on a more content-driven side, last year, we began collaborating with Infinispan, which is another open source community, on Red Hat DataGrid. And through that, we were leveraging Patternfly design guidelines and Patternfly content guidelines to try to streamline the console experience. It was very command line heavy. It wasn't very accessible for people who didn't know their way around the command line space. 
So we were infusing what we've learned and researched with Patternfly into that interface to help elevate that product experience. And then in terms of what Patternfly surfaces for content itself, we have internal and external contributors who are both in Red Hat and outside. So Patternfly design guidelines, Patternfly developer resources, whatever you see on a page is built by a variety of voices from a variety of places. So anyone in the Patternfly community can contribute to those resources. And that's, I think, one of my favorite things about it is that at its core, Patternfly is inherently collaborative. And by partaking in those conversations and even just reading a page, you're reading the result of a lot of different dialogues, a lot of different thoughts and opinions. That's amazing. So, I mean, Red Hat has has been known to find open source projects that that it depends heavily on. It kind of adopts them in, provides some resources. So, Patternfly seems to have done the opposite. It it started out as an as an initiative, easy for me to say, within Red Hat, and then kind of grew beyond that. Yeah, I'd say so. I think the intent for it to be open sourced was always there, but it definitely started as as recognizing a need within Red Hat's product portfolio, and then saying, okay. How are we going to scale this out? How can we make this a tool that others can use for their own interfaces beyond just Red Hat? Clean UI and UX is not open source projects uh, strong suit, to put it mildly. And seeing when this came around, I thought it was fantastic. Like we got it, you know, it was adopted into Manage IQ very early on. Cockpit is heavily based. Uh, using UI elements, of course. And Cockpit's probably the easiest uh, administration tools for Linux I've ever used, like in terms of finding what you need. So I really appreciate the work you guys have done around that. So uh, I thought, get kind of diving in a little bit more into the technology. What is the difference between Patternfly 3 and 4? Like, what would you say is the core differentiation between the between those two versions? So I, I see a huge shift, like some dialogue, yeah, some menus coming from the top to the to the side. So and so kind of diving into that, not just the differences, what drove those uh, decisions to change at the UX? Yeah, there are a lot of differences between Patternfly 3 and Patternfly 4, for sure. Patternfly 4, just at, at its base, is more of a fully-fledged design system. And it's it's a modular design system as well. So it's based off of the principles of atomic design. And so we have a lot of uh, components, layouts, pages, organisms, and that sort of thing, which is scalable, it's expandable, allows, it really puts the power in the, in the user's hands to be able to plug and play the pieces of the components in their product as they as they need. And so there were a lot of user experience considerations, as you mentioned, that went into the way that these components and layouts are designed to work and then interact with one another as well. About there there are things I think that you were alluding to with maybe say the alignment of boxes or maybe where menus pop up and that sort of thing. And heavily that the the decisions for those those changes come from customer feedback or product user feedback, user feedback, we'd say. And then there are instances where we have research-driven decisions, where we've reached out to groups to get feedback. And then we have research teams that can look at the, the feedback and provide insight as to what may or may not be a, a good pattern or a good change. And as pattern flies matured, we've had a lot of opportunities for people to contribute to, to the feedback for pattern fly. And so we have many years of, of learnings uh, and experiences that we've accumulated and been able to incorporate those into what you see as Patternfly 4 now. And with, with this move to Patternfly 4, what languages and frameworks does Patternfly support? 
Yeah, Pattern Fly 4, as I mentioned earlier, earlier on in, in my experience, I'm on the Pattern Fly core team. And so on GitHub, we have a Pattern Fly user, and Pattern Fly is the repo name for the Pattern Fly core, the repository for Pattern Fly core. And it's HTML and CSS. And in that, of course, inherent in HTML, we have accessibility built in. We have HTML and CSS examples on our website where you can see static representations of the building blocks for the components. And the Patternfly team specifically, we support the React framework as our framework of choice. This has been a movement within the Red Hat company to, uh, or within Red Hat as a whole, to get people on, on board on a a consistent platform. And so Red Hat has has gone along with that and helped drive that process as well by supporting Patternfly using, using React. And so using the core repository, users can take the HTML and CSS building blocks and build out Patternfly in a different framework if they chose to. It could be server-side, client-side. We've seen all sorts of creative uses of taking those building blocks and being able to turn it into whatever it is that works for you. But technically speaking, our formally supported frameworks are just the HTML and CSS side on, on the Patternfly core team and then the React framework on our Patternfly reacting. And hopping back to the differences between Patternfly 3 and 4 for one second, Patternfly 4, I think, places a way larger emphasis on educational resources to empower Patternfly users to be able to use Patternfly to its full potential. So we added a UX writing style guide in the past year. We've added more robust content guidelines, more robust design guidelines, more robust accessibility guidelines. We've seen a shift from seeing Patternfly as just this operational way to build to a way to set a standard to encourage people to build accessibly and inclusively. So the documentation for our design system in Patternfly 4 is really part of the design system itself. It's great to have the tools, but now with Patternfly 4, we have all the explanation and the reasoning and the backing for folks who are new to UX or well-seasoned to know how to use them. And we also have a redesigned website with Patternfly 4, and that was validated by extensive user research and user testing. So we drilled down into how users were interacting with our navigation. What were they finding? What couldn't they find? How can we surface critical information upfront? What's the ideal workflow on the site? When you get there, do you go to the developer resources first? Do you drill down into components, component pages? So we wanted to take this opportunity with Patternfly 4 to present our resources in a way that's intuitive to help people build. Yeah, the Patternfly website was one of the most beautiful I've been on in quite some time. Oh, so, thank you. So kudos there. You've mentioned accessibility a few times, and and it shows up all over the website. And that's not just accessibility of information. That is accessibility in terms of folks that maybe have some kind of visual disability. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah. So we have a vested interest in, in designing accessibly. As we know, ability is a spectrum. Personally, in my life, one of my brothers has cerebral palsy and some visual impairments. So when I joined Patternfly and I saw this dedication to designing accessibly, it really resonated with me. And in terms of our accessibility, our measures and, and how we engage with that, it's a big question with a lot of very awesome answers. And I think one of the most impressive things about Patternfly that sets it apart as a design system is that a lot of foundational accessibility is built in to the components from the start. So even though we prioritize flexibility and customization and some accessibility measures have to just be shown in those customized examples, we have complex components like code editors that are inherently accessible when you go to use them. And that's something that if you didn't have that baked into the code, it might be very difficult for the average developer 
for the average UX newbie to figure out, okay, I want to use this component. How am I going to make it accessible? What What's the criteria? What's my user base like? How can I make sure that everyone can engage with it in a meaningful way that's not going to lead to roadblocks down the road? So we have Patternfly-specific accessibility guide that our team has worked extensively on. And then we also have accessibility considerations in individual component docs. So you can get those macro guidelines and then really drill down to like, okay, I want to use a tree view. What do I need to do on my end to make sure that this tree view is going to work for every user in every use case? And obviously, you can't always make sure that that's 100% bulletproof. But the idea is to do a lot of the legwork up front. So accessibility goes from being an afterthought to being a focus. Yeah, put it super simple. Accessibility is a core function, not not something that is just added later, which is great. Yeah, my, my brother has a horrible vision, needs a screen reader sometimes. And it's depending on how it blends in within the screen, even with glasses. So it's it's very important for many people that are in our lives and we may not even know it. So well, and that's that's been a big barrier to being part of the open source community for individuals. It's been a topic of conversation for a long time, and and I think it's something that's finally started to get some attention. I know the Fedora community. I know, gosh, there was another one not too long ago that announced a, an accessibility kind of a push. So I I think this is something that that the community is becoming very acutely aware of, and it's awesome to see that Patternfly has got this baked in from from the ground up. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that. Even though it's baked in upfront, we don't always catch it before components go live. So we actually had an instance with Red Hat OpenShift last year where a non-sighted user was being blocked from their entire workflow. They couldn't switch between the administrator and developer perspectives because the dropdown component from Patternfly was being blocked. It wasn't functioning properly. So the OpenShift team did some some digging for this and, and tried to figure out what was wrong. Was it their context switcher? Was it something else? And the problem was actually traced back to our dropdown component. So our accessibility lead, Jesse Huff, worked with one of our principal UX developers, Joe Kayani, to figure out how can we fix this? And they investigated into what kind of screen reader and what kind of browser was being used. So it was JAWS 2019 on Google Chrome. And something to note about screen readers and browsers is testing them is very tricky because you can't cover every combination. And all it takes is one with some iffy behaviors or some different interactions you don't expect to come up with a roadblock. So after testing several solutions, Jesse and Joe actually reached out to this, this OpenShift user again to validate the fix. And, and they're really glad they did because while they were validating, they discovered a secondary bug with the dropdown where disabled items weren't being announced by that JAWS screen reader. And because they connected over a call about this, they could actually address that with another PR and fix both of those issues at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the... The coolest things about hearing this story was that this OpenShift fix, this one bug that was reported, inspired similar user-driven accessibility fixes across different pattern-like components like the options menu and the application launcher. And it inspired us to explore more in-depth screen reader testing with JAWS and to catch more component bugs like this before they're released into the wild. So I think the main takeaway is that when accessibility bugs leak through with Patternfly and we get someone on the other end of a Red Hat product reporting a bug back to us and we fix that in Patternfly, that accessibility fix scales out and percolates into Red Hat products as they update those components. So we're able to collaborate with those product teams, figure out what's going on and address it, fine tune that accessibility fix so that future folks who pull 
from Patternfly to use that component will inherently not have that same bug again. That's awesome. Kind of switching gears to community, what kind of contributors is Patternfly currently looking for? I mean, like, sounds like testing is is a great way to get engaged, whether that's just general testing of the code or at, or even just accessibility testing. Who are you looking for to participate in the in the project? Okay, yeah, I was going to say that I I mean I think all of our all of our teams are always looking for contributions and people to join the community. Users of Patternfly, I mean, the people that are consuming Patternfly, of course, our design system tends to be more oriented toward enterprise and IT applications, and so naturally that's the type of user base that we're going to get, but really anybody looking for a design system, consistency, usable components, accessibility, and that sort of thing can can use Patternfly. We've got some real creative uses of Patternfly outside of even the Red Hat product teams. I know on our core side and the, and the Patternfly React side, we're always looking for contributors too, whether that's Patternfly users, maybe it's uh, developers within Red Hat or developers outside of Red Hat. We get a lot of outside contributions. Everything's on GitHub and everything's out there. And so if you've got someone who's looking to work on a certain a certain type of code change or looking to contribute potentially just to an open source project, I mean, Patternfly is a great place to start because we have we have teams of people and and lots of issues and a variety of types of things that that you could work on. I know even from the the design side that if there are designers looking to collaborate with with an open source design system, we welcome those types of contribution as well. Yeah. Follow up. How can they get engaged? Well, I, I can say from the development side, GitHub is a great place for that. A, a lot of people are real familiar with GitHub, and so. We've got, it's, it's a very active, very active repositories for the Patternfly slash Patternfly core side and Patternfly slash Patternfly dash React, React side. And so we have lots of issues. We have a lot of uh, PRs making a lot of noise. And so in these conversations, you see issues. I get uh, a lot of people just chime in on the issues. They'll chime in on a PR. You can subscribe to, to the repos and get updates and see that sort of thing. We also have a Patternfly forum that's pretty active. This is We get lots of feedback about people using Patternfly, people who are cons- considering using Patternfly and have questions about how to, how to introduce Patternfly. Those are people within Red Hat, outside of Red Hat. It's all, it's all out there for anybody to use. I think Alana can probably talk to some more engaging forms of getting in touch with and, and collaborating with our community using things like, like Twitter and social media. Yeah, so we do have a Twitter presence and a Medium presence. So twitter.com slash Patternfly or at Patternfly and then medium.com slash Patternfly. And, and these are really cool avenues for existing contributors, UX enthusiasts, open source enthusiasts, because we publish and, and post a lot of different content. So we'll do engagement polls on Twitter, like what's what's your favorite coding language? How do you like to engage with open source opportunities? How do you get started in open source? And then on our Medium Avenue, we get to tell stories. So we get people who maybe are new to open source and they, they talk about how they got started, advice for getting started. We've had designers write articles about how working with Patternfly elevated their product how they created their own custom sketch library based on Patternfly. People like me, who started as an English major who joined Patternfly a year ago, talking about how do you wrap your head around UX and open source as a newbie. So our socials are a great place for people who maybe they're new to open source, maybe they're new to everything UX, but they want to engage with the thought leadership. They want to engage with the content. I will tell you right away, if you mention Patternfly on Twitter, I will do a little happy dance. I love talking to people in our community. And in terms of 
our other communication avenues, we also have a Slack channel where we field questions about how to use Patternfly. If anyone's working on a cool project, they'll post about it there. So you can access all of our social links on our community page on our website. So patternfly.org. And there should be a community page. I think in the side navigation is where you'll find it. But yeah, it's it's been very cool connecting with everyone and just hearing about what people are using Patternfly for. I mean, we have that large presence in Red Hat products, but then this is one of my favorite use cases. We have one flyer, that's what we call Patternfly Community Members Flyers. They use our design system to produce the front end of a database project at a university in Germany. So they're compiling a bibliography of literature and media that's teachable for English and German classrooms at German schools. And they're using Patternfly as a way to do that. Oh, that's so cool. It crops up in very interesting places. Huh, that's really cool. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have links to all of the, uh, all the community engagement, the website, and the GitHub pages in our show notes. But uh, before we go, is there anything on the, on the roadmap, anything on the horizon that uh, folks should be keeping an eye out for? I know I can say that with our development cycle, we have a three-week development cycle. And so we're constantly iterating on features, enhancements, new things, improvements to our website. We're taking in that community feedback. We're looking at the issues that are filing and we're adding these to our schedule. And so we've constantly got things on the horizon. If you're you wanted to get a glimpse of the types of things that we're doing in each of our releases, you can go to the patternfly.org website, find the under the developer resources, there's a link to release notes and you can check that out. You'll see a, a list of the types of things that we're doing with each of our components in both of the Patternfly Core and the Patternfly React repos. We're, we're constantly building new components, introducing new layouts, adding demos to our, to our website, showing people how to use Patternfly, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I'll, I'll speak a little bit to, this is a major word nerd moment, and I apologize to anyone who's not interested in language, but I'm, I'm collaborating on a design guideline revamp that is going to be an ongoing effort. And we're looking at our existing design guidelines and our existing documentation full scale. Is it digestible? Is it usable? Can people scan it and read it for the information they need? How can we best organize it so that that's a user experience too, right? When you're reading documentation to use it in practice. So. I've been geeking out on this for weeks and I'm very excited about it. So we're going to be running some workshops about that. So if you're a pattern flight consumer out there and, and you have any thoughts about our docs, please reach out to me and we'll get you linked up to that workshop. And then in terms of accessibility, we're working on some visuals for accessibility guide to really chart ability as a spectrum with real world examples. And we're hoping that that visual will help people who are making their own interfaces better understand diverse abilities and better meet users where they are in context. So very excited to roll those out. And if you want to keep your finger on the pulse of all things Patternfly, we have a monthly community meeting. We'd be happy to send the invite everyone's way. Just holler at us on Twitter, join our mailing list. We're, we're always excited to talk about what we're, what we're up to. I meant to ask you all about that because I before I was a Red Hatter, I worked for GitLab. And most of our company meetings were, were recorded and posted to YouTube. So what's, what's that like for, for you all to have your, your community meetings published? Oh, it's very cool. It's very, very cool. And I can speak to this actually as a pre-pattern fly person. So I joined Red Hat last May. And one of the major selling points for applying to the role and, and engaging with the interview process was how collaborative was collaborative it was. 
And one of the main ways I gleaned that was from the Pattern Fly community meetings on YouTube. So it was it was very awesome to me as, as a senior at Boston University to watch these community meetings, not understand a single lick of what was going on because I, I hadn't been exposed to open source UX, anything like that. But hearing the conversation, seeing how everyone treated new ideas and facilitated open dialogue, I was like, wow, this is a community that I could see myself writing for and being a part of. So from that perspective, I feel like having our community meetings out there might catch some people off guard and show them like, hey, I can be part of open source too. And then in terms of as a pattern fly person now, it keeps the conversation very open and iterative. Sometimes I'll refresh myself on the past recording for a new meeting so that I can come with new ideas and new perspectives. And it just, it really lets us include those calls to actions and those ongoing conversations in a way that if someone doesn't attend the meeting, if they can't make it, or if they're new and they're catching up, they can jump right into that conversation without a lot of lag time. Well, if that isn't a sales pitch for open, collaborative, and and community-focused, I'm not sure what is. So I really appreciate the both of you coming on and, and chatting with us this, this afternoon. Anyway, thank you both for joining us today. I really appreciate you you jumping on, spending some time with us and talking about Patternfly. Yeah, thank you. It's been really fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll, of course, have all the links to their website, GitHub, social media, and all of that in the, in the show notes. With that being said, we'll have to have you on the show again real soon. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to sudo.show slash discuss. If you'd like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over at sudo.show or on social media at sudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time.